Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg ad-free and right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500, 500 We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Graduation is a sweet occasion, but finding the perfect gift can be a bitter struggle. MMS.com has a solution. Personalized M&Ms. Just imagine the look on your grad's face when they receive a custom candy creation featuring their school's colors, name, and even their photo printed right on some M&Ms. It's a thoughtful way to celebrate their accomplishments and make the occasion even more special. Visit MMS.com to create your own personalized gifts and party favors for graduations, weddings, birthdays, and more. That's MMS.com. Use code WONDERY to receive 15% off your next order. Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then, there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. 
And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London, you just never know. This week we come to you from Bangkok in Thailand for the annual World Travel and Tourism Global Summit. Every year, all the heads of state, of industry, ministers of tourism, and Fortune 500 CEOs involved in the largest industry in the world, a.k.a. travel and tourism, gather in a different capital of the world to discuss the cutting-edge issues. And boy, are there cutting-edge issues. Uh, Joining me now, the Executive Director of the World Travel and Tourism Council, David Scalzo, who's been on the show many times before. Hi, Peter. Good to be here. You know, we live in interesting times, as the Chinese say, um, and one of the um, overwhelming topics of discussion during this conference, the name of the conference is Transforming Our World, especially along the lines of the UN's Sustainable Development Goals. But more importantly than that, it's, of course, dealing with every day's news events and the perception of those events, especially going back to what I call a perfect storm of, uh, on one level, from a consumer angle, a global buyer's market and travel because of this combination of Brexit, the power of the dollar against so many foreign currencies, the euro, the pound, the Egyptian pound, the Turkish lira, the Argentinian peso, the U.S. dollar being king, and then global instability caused by very visible acts of political violence and terrorism, and then coupled with a U.S. administration policy or perceived policy of being closed and hospitable uh, in terms of executive uh, orders signed by the president, not yet upheld by the courts, but still out there uh, on immigration and visa policy, which AKA refers to, as most people call it, a travel ban. So you've had your hands full. Yes, it's been busy. And with regard to this travel ban, if you think back to the years after 9-11, Peter, there's this 10 years of lost income of about $600 billion. It's only now that the U.S. has got back to those pre-9-11 levels in terms of travel and tourism. And what this banned ban, I should say, has been judicially blocked, the impact of that has been quite severe because it sent out a message around the world that the U.S. is closing down, not so friendly for business anymore, and people are really thinking very hard about whether they want to go. And this is not just an issue of dollar exchange rate. It's just specifically this message that's gone out there. So so one of the things that happened after 9-11 is they had focus groups, which I hate. But they had focus groups, and they asked them a question. They said, and this is an idiot question because you know what the answer is going to be. They asked Americans after 9-11, will you be traveling this year? And the answer was no. They forgot to ask them the second question. Do you want to? And we all want to. We just need to know that we can. Mm -hmm. So what you're talking about is that it's not a question of whether or when or even where. It's a question of how because people are going to travel. Yes, and I think the the intended... The intended consequences of this ban was was aimed at six specific countries. And the way I think it was misconceived was that there hasn't been a single incident on U.S. soil committed by a national of any of those six countries in the last 40 years. So it seems and yet the very perception strange. Is, but the perception is that it has. Yeah, exactly. So in your role here at WTTC of trying to contextualize data and information and put it in terms that people can get their arms around, what's your message here? Well, the message to the administration is you have to be very careful in your messaging because just the fact of talking about travel bans has started people questioning about whether they want to go to the U.S. this year. We're predicting up to a 5, 6, 7% decline potentially in international visitors going to the U.S. this year. And when you think there'll be 1.3 billion people crossing an international border this year, a 7% drop, as it applies this to the U.S., is a staggering number. It's a staggering number. But in terms of what's going on in the terrorist world, you're right, Peter. People are continuing to travel. They're very robust, very resilient. We're growing 3.8% this year. This year, but they are avoiding certain destinations. So t- Turkey is suffering, 
Egypt suffering, Tunisia suffering in Europe, but people are going to other locations. They're still continuing to travel. And I have to say, I was in Turkey three days after the shooting at the nightclub on New Year's Eve. Uh, I went to the uh, Siron Palace with a good friend of mine who's the general manager for lunch on a Friday. We were the only two guys there at lunch. I mean, that was that was sad. Yeah, Turkey's suffering really badly. You know, they're, they're 40, 50 percent down on previous years, and they've had this incredible mix of unfortunate situations. So with the war with Syria on its boundary, the migration process, multiple terrorist the attempted attacks, coup. the attempted coup, the Russians who didn't come. So five million Russians didn't come last year because of the dispute with Russia. So they've had a maelstrom of problems. Very, very unusual. But we need some stability there. We need no more incidents. And then the tourists will cut to come back very fast. And your prediction for the U.S.? The U.S. for this year, it's, I believe it's going to be down just because of the messaging that's coming out of the Trump administration. And I think if Brand USA can ramp up its marketing activity and get the message out very clearly that the U.S. remains open for business, it's friendly to foreigners, then I think it will come back very quickly again. It will come back. The question is, in, 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 how will it come back? Um, because there are people in the United States, David, who are not leaving the United States because they're afraid they might not be able to get back, which has nothing to do with anything because they're holding valid U.S. passports to begin with. But once again, it's the perception that's killing everything. Yes, and it's the communication as well. There's been so much discussion about different types of visa programs that are going to affect the tech companies and the West Coast and people who are registered on global traveler programs. Are they going to be allowed access or not? There's got to be very, very clear communication about what is okay and what's not okay from the U.S. administration. You know, one of the thoughts that came to me right away, other than the obvious brain drain problems that could happen with people not being able to come to the United States or perceiving they can't come and making choices elsewhere, is in the cruise industry, so much of their crew comes from, from countries that might be perceived as unwelcomed in the United States. Yeah. And what happens if one of those ships sails into Miami? Can those guys get off the ship? It's exactly the same issue. And, and if you want to talk about Brexit, you'll see the same thing happening in Europe because freedom of movement of labor, particularly between the UK and the continent, is absolutely critical to the industry in that part of the world as well. It's the same discussion. So, OK, we've got this on the table. It's being discussed. Uh, part of your mandate at WTTC is to reach out to individual governments to get them to understand the power and the impact not just, just in terms of economics, but in terms of everything that it builds of travel and tourism. Are you getting good outreach with the U.S.? Yes, I believe we are. I mean, we are fortunate in that President Trump comes from our industry. To that extent, he does understand the power to generate jobs and the power to generate American jobs. The issue is the messaging that's going outside of the United States. And we've got to be very clear that the U.S. administration has to come out with messages which say we are open for business. We want tourists to come. We want business travelers to come and do deals in America. And if they do that from the government perspective, supported by the marketing machine of Brand USA, then we'll get past this very, very quickly. Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. one of our regulars on the show uh, who comes to this every year. He's also the editor-in-chief of Travel Weekly and also a regular on our PBS show called The Travel Detective, the editor-in-chief of Travel Weekly. I said that twice now. Arnie Weissman, how are you? Hello, Peter. How are you? Okay, so, you know, we find ourselves in interesting times. We see travel being affected in very interesting and weird ways as a result of political instability, fear, economic issues, 
and of course the reaction uh, or the perception of problems with the executive orders from our president in terms of uh, either a, a an immigration and visa issue or most recently on a, on a security level the ban on laptops on, on on planes emanating from certain countries I mean the numbers are staggering what I'm seeing what do you see well it's interesting there's a number of things that, that uh, made a deep impression on me is coming into this summit the theme was about the year of sustainable travel this is a a United Nations World Tourism Organization a priority, and the program was shaped somewhat around the issue of sustainability. Reality intervened, and while there has been an undercurrent of focus on sustainability, on environmental impact, the news of the moment, which has to do with everything you just talked about, uh, which emanates not only from the Trump presidency, but uh, what they're calling populist movements around the world, has worked its way into absolutely every presentation we've seen. There's been a focus on, on and mention of climate change and other related issues, but I don't think one speaker has not at least alluded to uh, the rising political shift, which has become the unofficial theme of this World Travel and Tourism Council Summit. So what you get is a, a more nuanced discussion, at least that's what I've picked up from the conference, than uh, what has already been said. So, for instance, one of the most, to me, uh, impressive presentations yesterday was from Arnie Sorensen, the CEO of Marriott International. And what he said was he put it in terms of we in the room, that means the delegates of WTTC. Many of them are, are CEOs. See, many of the CEOs of very large uh, multinational uh, travel companies. And owners. Yes. I mean, this is really, this is, uh, as it was mentioned, the Davos of travel. This is where the, the elite, in a sense, come to meet, but so, so do another. Th- what is, how, how do we get in? Well, I know. It's, it's a question, isn't it? I, I want an answer <laughs> on that. Okay. But, you know, you, you have essentially uh, 2,000 people coming to watch 60 people, the CEOs, uh, and other uh, people who are insightful on these issues come and uh, present their ideas. What uh, Sorensen of Marriott said was, this is a room of globalists. What is ch- driving change is reaction to globalism. And he po- uh, positioned the discussion in a, in a way I hadn't really heard before. And, and one of the most important things I think he said was, we've got to separate the discussions of immigration and travel. That yes, immigration involves people moving from one place to another. It has a different set of rules and expectations than people who are going on vacation. So you end up having a discussion uh, on immigration that uses the word travel ban. And travel is intermingled with immigration to a point where you have people who are calling for uh, what is not always unreasonable uh, immigration rules, now also thinking that travel and immigration are of a piece. And that separation, I think, and that distinction is very important and, to me, is one of the bigger things to come out of this particular summit. It's one thing to say that, and by the way, I agree with you on that, and I don't think there's anything to disagree about. The problem is, how do you make that work? How do you get people to make that distinction when they're, they've never done it before? Well, I think that I think that what has to be addressed is if the if the immigration rules and a lot of what uh, was said not only by Sorensen but also uh, former UK Prime Minister David Cameron was also a speaker, and he touched upon the, what uh, bothers a lot of the people who are part of the populism movement is when people overstay their visas illegally, 
and that uh, this is perhaps a bigger, more in-your-face issue in Europe than it is in the U.S., to be honest. Uh, and there's a lot of Europeans here in the audience. But the concerns, if the concerns, uh, the underlying concerns of the populist movement are addressed in terms of actual rules that make sense and are understandable and are clear, then, in fact, you can begin to do that separation. But I think what, what is missed in this discussion is that there is a lot of reaction that is based on misinformation. And so you, you're, again, as you are in so many different areas of uh, news and media today, looking at these different information streams. And I have a feeling this, the people who are trying to fuel the populism movement are not interested in subtle distinctions or separations of this kind. So it's hard to get through. It's hard to get that message through. But if a lot of the brands who are in this room and travel, as, as you know, is uh, one in 10 jobs worldwide, it's, we, we are an industry that has a tremendous impact. And if the brands unite in, in being able to put this message across, and it's not going to be through press releases, but it's going to be through a distinction and, once again, a promotion of travel as what it is. And perhaps what I think Sorensen was suggesting is that the uh, travel companies be careful about getting involved in the immigration issues directly and, and more or less keeping that linkage uh, tighter than it really needs to be. It's, it's, a, it's a really interesting and, and subtle distinction. It may, in fact, get lost in all the noise that we're hearing. And it probably will get lost in all the noise because there's another aspect to it as well, which Sorensen didn't address but, but should have because as the largest hotelier in the world these days with, I think, more than 6,000 hotels and what he told me yesterday, they're opening one new hotel every 14 hours. Yes. I mean, think about that. They have to populate that not just with guests but with employees. And hotels have, at least in the U.S., have historically depended on foreign workers to come in as trainees in the hotel business. How do they get visas now? Well, and absolutely. And in fact, I know that in it, uh, there are Marriott hotels that are of a size that have workers from 50 distinct nations working there. So they are. So in fact, the travel industry has a deep. Uh, immigration issues are of very deep importance to the travel industry countries. I think that what he's suggesting is that in the messaging, you need to keep those messages separate. Right. But it's a, it's a serious problem if you're, if you're an employer, as Marriott is, or Hilton, or Hyatt, or any of those companies, to be able to fill your, fuel your pipeline, if you will, with a great labor force of people you want to train to, to move up the ranks because you need them. No, absolutely. It's, it, it is a critical issue for the travel industry on lots of different levels. The question is one of trying to keep the two policies, both of which are important to travel companies, separate as far as the public is All right, concerned. But let's, now let's get down to another level, and that's the level that you deal with every day, and that's the travel agency community, the people who actually are part of the distribution process. When Mrs. Schmidlap wants to go to you know, London or, or Paris, you need to educate the travel agents as well. That's correct. And in fact, it's interesting. Uh, one of uh, the people I spoke with here is the CEO of Apple Leisure Group, and 80% of their business is in Mexico. And so a lot of the political rhetoric, uh, especially involving Mexico coming from the Trump administration, is having a, at this point, minor impact on his business. Uh, he said it's mostly travel from Mexico to the U.S. that is down. Uh, rather than the other way around. But he has great concerns, particularly about people who are worried about the reception they will get 
once they arrive. So Travel Weekly is, is a direct communications vehicle to travel agents. Uh, has been focusing on those sorts of issues. We have we sent a reporter to on what was essentially a three month journey through Mexico, and to get the to gauge what sort of reaction Mexicans have to Americans, they are able. And what the, she reported was that there is a distinction, there is a separation between what they might think of our administration and what they are thinking of the people who are visiting. If you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. I am a passenger. This is a gathering that draws ministers, heads of state, Fortune 500 CEOs, all to do with the largest industry in the world, travel and tourism. The numbers, as you know, are staggering. If you've been listening to the show, you know what they are. But let's just say it is the largest industry in the world. One out of every 11 jobs, nearly 10, actually, I take that back, nearly 11% of global GDP. And uh, the, the numbers are truly staggering when they work. The numbers are also truly staggering when they don't. And uh, joining me now is someone who follows those numbers, among other things, the former Deputy Assistant Secretary of Commerce in the Obama Administration for Travel and Tourism, Kelly Craighead. How are you? Good, Peter. I'm great. Thanks for having me. I mean, you watched this for a number of years as a member of the administration, as an employee of the U.S. government. Now you're outside that window, looking right. looking in, if you will. And we're seeing so many things that are happening worldwide that are seeming to form like almost a perfect storm, whether it's Brexit, the power of the U.S. dollar against many other currencies. We're seeing a global instability, a certain amount of fear, and then stuff that's happening that's generating in the United States, even with the best of intentions, perhaps, uh, presidential executive orders that are being tested in the court, numbers that are dropping in terms of inbound tourism. I mean, where do you see all of this ending up? Right. Well, I mean, I think that uh, there's so much attention being focused on it now because the stakes are so high. When we look at how many travelers will be potentially in the marketplace by 2030, which I think is, uh, you'll know better than I am, like 1.8 billion travelers, these are big stakes. And so I think uh, for people who are concerned about supporting economies and creating jobs, um, these are factors we all pay attention to. And I think from a United States perspective, you know, it's critical that we uh, send the message around the world that we welcome, we want, and we welcome visitors, and that we're open for business. And I think, uh, you know, there are a lot of forces at play, as you mentioned, and trying to send that message is going to be a big challenge in the next couple of months and years ahead. You know, so many people look at travel and tourism as leisure. You, of course, look at it as business because yeah. that's your job. Right. Uh, I'm hearing so many crazy numbers in the last three weeks that $195 million just evaporated in terms of inbound tourism because people aren't showing up. Uh, I'm hearing numbers that if people aren't showing up, they're not shopping. That retail in the United States could take a $10.3 billion hit if people aren't showing up. Right. Well, I mean, the numbers are staggering. Uh, in the Obama administration, we were very focused on trying to generate um, 100 million international visitors to the United States by 2021 because we expected they would spend $250 billion a year in the U.S. economy. So like you, I've heard a lot of speculation about the numbers. My former office, the National Travel and Tourism Office, puts out the final numbers for the U.S., and they haven't done that yet. So it's hard to know exactly what the impact is going to be. But for all the reasons that you've said, stronger economies, um, greater competition in the marketplace, it's not unreasonable to expect those numbers will drop. The people who are, who are here for the, for the WTTC, they are the stakeholders of either countries or companies that derive so much of their income from travel and tourism. Yeah. What are you hearing from them? 
Well, I think that there is um, a little bit of uh, just concern about the, the global immigration crisis. I think um, both countries, the diplomacy that comes with people-to-people -people exchange, companies and the bottom line that is able to grow from ease of travel and the ability to move from place to place is just critical to all of those stakeholders. And so what I've been hearing is just the concern around closing borders and the, the need for us to work with each other and create smart policies that ensures that there is that freedom to travel. Well, during the Obama administration, there were some smart policies. They, they changed the visa entry requirements and the, the waiting time, went from like 180 days down to three without compromising security, and it worked. Right. Have we gone back? Have we taken three or four giant steps back now? Well, I think um, for the Obama administration, like for the Trump administration, national security is always a top priority. And I think the threat level is constantly changing and always in flux. And so I think what is true is that national security remains important. And it's also true that early, um, you know, early on in administrations, people are still figuring out their path forward. And so I think, I think we're in a period where we're waiting for these agencies to be staffed up, and we're waiting to see how these policies might be able to play out moving forward. Well, five to six months into a new administration, those agencies still aren't staffed up. Right. And that's a problem. It is a problem. But I will, I will say, you know, I served eight years in the Clinton administration, and what is challenging is the climate in which we try to do our business in Washington. And what I've been hopeful for is that the Trump family are hoteliers, and they do recognize the importance of this industry. And so although it hasn't come together as quickly as many of us would like to see, it is not atypical to take some time to staff up. And at a certain point, the economic reality sets in, you have to respond. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's in the negative, and I think there is such a huge economic opportunity. The United States is so well positioned. It's such a dynamic destination and it has such a healthy public-private partnership that it's also the economic reality that doing this well um, not only keeps you out of a divot, but moves you forward. We're talking with Kelly Craighead, the former Deputy Assistant Secretary of Commerce for Travel and Tourism. Say that three times fast <laughs> in the last administration. If you were still sitting in that chair today, what would you do? I think I would work um, with my fellow tourism ministers uh, to really try to address, you know, customized, comprehensive immigration uh, public policy that ensures national security but also lets borders remain open for travel with legitimate travelers. Because as I travel around the world, so many of the people I know in different countries are saying, I'm not coming to the U.S. this year because they perceive it not to be open and hospitable and welcoming. Right. I do think that is the challenge uh, that our um, partners in the United States needs to take on. There are some very creative partners in Brand USA and some of their private sector partners who are, will take it to the very local and state level so that each of those citizens and residents and businesses that exist are sending out their own messaging of welcome. Along in my, my baby beside me at the wheel, cruising and playing the radio, with no particular place to go. 
If you've been listening to this show for the last couple of years, you know I talk about airlines you've never heard about or disruptor airlines or routes that are secret flights, opportunities for you to go from A to B in ways you never expected. I've talked about this airline and this gentleman before. I've never had a chance to get him on the show. Now I have him on the show. Talk about an innovator in this region especially. Uh, the name of the airline is AirAsia. The name of the gentleman, the CEO, Tony Fernandez. How are you, sir? Hey, Peter. Good to be here. You know, when we talk about the words, and it's a word that you hear all the time, disruptor airlines, it doesn't necessarily mean you're trying to destroy anything. It's just you're upsetting the normal process in terms of routes, pricing, aircraft utilization, and we go down the whole list. And, you know, we look at Norwegian Air Shuttle, we see how they're playing the game, we see airlines, the British Airways has just done a new one, announced a new one called Level. I mean, the, the market's getting crowded now with people trying to copy maybe something you've been doing for quite a while. Yeah, I mean, I think I've always said that airline industry has tried to do too much. You know, if you look at a Singapore Airlines plane, they're first class, business class, premium economy, and economy. This hotel here is a five-star hotel, and it focuses on this five-star market. Uh, Rolls-Royce would focus on this premium end of the market. So, airlines have tried to do too much. And I think what you're going to see now as you get more AirAsia Xs, Norwegians, etc., is those traditional full-service carriers will move up the value chain. More and more low-cost carriers will come in to take the traditional economy end of the business. Although the traditional history of low-cost carriers is, at least in the United States, they were either undercapitalized or there was predatory pricing with the big airlines mm. to find a mm. successful airline by who could lose money longer. Yes. And and then the, the low-cost guys went out of business. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the low-cost industry is here to stay, uh, certainly from the short-haul market. Whether that's going to happen in the long-haul model is is to be seen. We've been doing this for nine years now. And you're still we're, here. We're still here. We're public. We've got two airlines in Thailand and Malaysia. There's AirAsia. AirAsia uh, Air, Air X, X and Thai AirAsia X. Yeah. What's changing as well, Peter, is aircraft. We're now getting aircraft that suits this kind of model much better. The 787-9, the 350, the, the 350-900, the and the 330neo. These are perfect aircraft, which we never had 10 years ago. And they were made for different types of customers. Right. We're now getting airline manufacturers, well, predominantly Boeing and an Airbus that are having variants that suit this kind of long-haul, low-cost model. Well, let's talk about long-haul, low-cost, because I go back to the days of Freddie Laker. Yeah. Um, and well, Freddie he, Laker, was, he was my inspirator. I used to stand there. You and Richard Branson. Yeah, I was, uh, and I named my first long-haul plane after Sir Freddie Laker. And in fact, I received a message, an email from Sir Freddie Laker, and I was like, hey, I thought he's passed away. He has. And it, and it was Sir Freddie Laker, it was Freddie Laker Jr., <laughs> uh, who was very kind enough to give me the key to his first TriStar that Freddie Laker had. The L-1011. Yeah, I used to I used to stand at Heathrow Airport and be you know as a young I was a plane spotter. I'm proud to admit it at Car Park. Me too. Park, car Park Five. I know exactly and, where you were standing uh, yeah. too. And uh, looking back at the hotels across the runway. Correct. And then I'd go down to the check-in, and I was amazed at people flying to New York for $59, which was still a lot of money then, but a lot less than what was being charged, and $99 on, on Skybus and Skytrain, et cetera. So, and they were put out of business by collusion. You know, that's when, when Monopoly's Act came in. So the model works. The model's there. It's been done for a long, long time. And when Laker was put out of business by collusion, he actually won the law case, but after he was already out of business. Yeah, correct. But, but of course, I, he, had the, he had the very famous quote that Richard Branson likes to say, you want to be a millionaire, start with a billion dollars and yeah, open an airline, yeah, you'll correct. become a million. Yeah, in my case, I never had a billion. So, <laughs> so you're in better shape. So I was in better shape. <laughs> but with the airline that you're running, I mean, you're doing long haul, low cost, right? But you're now starting- We're predominantly doing medium haul. Right. If you look at most of our routes are six, seven, eight hours. Now we've got the kit, we will start looking at 10 hours and, uh, and a bit more than that. Right, but now you're looking at Koala and Port of Honolulu. 
Yes, but we're going via Japan. Right. Uh, so it's not a direct flight. We couldn't do it direct. You know, we, we won't be long before we're doing Los Angeles, San Francisco. And uh, I'd like to do New York from Europe. America needs to start getting connected to Asia. It needs to be on a mass transport. I'm not going to sound like Miss World and say I want to make the world a better place. You and, just did. And a smaller world. <laughs> but I'm saying I'm not trying to sound like a, which I know I am. Um, You'd have but, to speak a little higher but, uh, but Americans need to come out to this part of the world more, and we've got to make it more affordable. That's something that we want to do. Right now, the words Fifth Freedom are interesting to me. Yeah. Uh, I had to go from Sao Paulo to Buenos Aires, and I flew Turkish Air. And people looked at me like I was crazy. I said, no, that's the way you want to do it. You know, there are so many different flights you can do that people are, are realizing now that are angering a lot of U.S. carriers, by the way, like the New York to Milan route on Emirates. I mean, Emirates is, uh, I mean, the, the U.S. carriers are beside themselves that Emirates is flying that route. And yet that's a you want yeah i mean i think u.s carriers have to adapt and i think can they i don't know i don't know them enough but uh, what i'm trying to say is i don't think where people are talking about trump and protectionism and stuff i don't think that's the way the american government will go i think they want to create jobs they want to create more tourism jobs they got to be more liberal so i'm i'm a positive advocate that we're not going to go backwards in america all right so i have to ask the the, the crazy question if you're flying from kl to honolulu and i've seen fares quoted at 149 dollars how do you do that well i will need a lot longer than a t- I know 20, that. 20 minutes. It's a dark science. Uh, so it's a, it's a lot of things. But if I could say one thing that I think we've done very well is this culture. Um, you can tell a pilot how to fly. You can tell a cabin crew how to, how to behave in a certain way. You can tell Audrey how to book a hotel. But if they don't want to do it, they won't do it. What we've been very successful in, we have 20,000 staff. We don't have a single union. We have a fantastic family culture where everyone collaborates very well, and we take an enormous amount of cost out of the business. The efficiency in AirAsia is far, far greater than any airline, and that's predominantly driven by the way people are motivated uh, to drive costs down. Is it also part of the Southwest model that you're only flying one basic type of plane? Because you're not now, but you Uh, were. On on the long-haul model, we have one type of plane. On the short-haul model, we have one type of plane. So yes, it is. It's a whole heap of things that we do. But I think the biggest thing is our culture, really. Can you turn planes faster? Yes, 100%. I mean, another thing, if you take a, a long-haul traditional carrier, they would leave. They take two hours to turn a plane. Well, more, and sometimes more than that yeah. because they're waiting for their business customers who won't get up at a god-unearthly time to get that flight. But your customers will. Correct. So as soon as we land, even if we land at 11 o'clock at night, we'll take off at 2 in the morning, and uh, our customers will be there. Now, for those people who don't know this term, something that Tony knows very well, it's called aircraft utilization, right? You, you, all, pay for, you all pay roughly the same price. You use it more, your cost per seat is going to go down. Right, and you're going to keep that plane in the air because you're not making money on the ground. Correct. When Freddie Laker started to get in trouble is when he put a first-class section on the plane. When MGM Grand got into trouble is when they put a coach section on the plane. So if you're going to have a brand, you have to really well define it and then keep to that brand. Mm. So you have how many classes on your plane? On AirAsia, one. One. On AirAsia X, one. But we have a different seat. We give you an option of getting a nicer seat for 12 of those seats. Okay, but just 12? Yeah. Right, so people are begging for those seats. Well, not begging, because we charge them a lot more. We charge them more to beg. (laughs) (laughs) But you're not anticipating ever changing that mix. No. And I mean, there was a a management who talked about making a business class. They're not there anymore. You've got to stay focused. And it comes back to what I said right at the beginning of the show. Looking after a first-class passenger and an economy passenger is a completely different product from training, from food, from check-in. And it just adds enormous amount of complexity and cost. And sometimes confusion. Correct. And that's why we just believe in we'll look after one type of consumer. Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now.
Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. We're lucky enough to be in Bangkok this year and lots of stuff to talk about. And one of the people who's been talking a lot about it is the CEO of the Travel Corporation and one of our favorites, Brett Tolman. How are you, sir? Great. And you, Peter? I'm good. I mean, you've been coming to this how many years on, on WTTC? 21. But who's counting? Okay. But, I mean, it moves every year. We've, we've, uh, we've looked at the numbers every year. And I, unless I'm delusional, every year there seems to be some sort of a crisis. There seems to be a crisis in either political instability, the economy, uh, the environment, uh, airline finance, um, basic countries that have either been closed or opened. What are the big, biggest concerns that you have for this conference this year? Well, a lot of the focus is transforming our world for tomorrow. And the focus has been very much about sustainability, freedom to travel with obviously the issues you were just talking about before. Some of the uh, issues you mentioned just a moment ago, we've seen you know, in recent years happening frequently throughout the year, let alone just one of them. So there's always something, but one has to remain optimistic. And so far, so good this year. Your corporation has so many different facets to it. You have tour operators, you have hotels, you have river cruises. I mean, you've, you've, you've covered it all. In a way, you're sort of hedging your bets in a way when you, when you think about it, because if, if there's a downturn in one area, maybe there's not in another. But what trends are you seeing within those operations that you have that are either giving you hope or giving you concern? So last year, Europe was obviously a, a very challenging year for us, which is a very important destination from all of the markets that we uh, are in. This year, we've seen some wonderful resurgence. France is still struggling a bit, and we're certainly pushing hard to reinforce to people the importance they have morally and individually to help support the French. Terrorism cannot win, as uh, Talib Rafai was mentioning yesterday. Talib Rafai, the, the head of the United Nations World Tourism Organization. Correct. Uh, I always found it interesting, in, in traveling around Europe, you know, we had the recent shooting on the streets in, in Paris near the Champs-Élysées, actually on the Champs-Élysées, of the French policeman who was killed. Others were wounded. They, they killed the attacker. Um, and they closed down that street for about 18 hours. Very powerful visual images. I happened to be in France, um, and in fact, on my way here. And guess what happened? Within 18 hours, it was reopened. At the actual scene of it, there were there were obviously a, a makeshift memorial was done. There were flowers and some signage, but it was almost and I don't want to sound crass, business as usual, because at that part of the world these days, like Northern Ireland used to be, like England, I mean, you know, you had the terrible incident with the with the you know the, the guy drove into the people near Westminster. Uh, the bridge was open the next day, so in a way, two things happened. People are resigned to it that it's part of their way of life these days. And at the same time, they also want to send a message that we will not let the terrorists win by a, a total disruption of our way of life. So true. It happens everywhere. So as you say, one doesn't want to be crass or insensitive, but I think we as human beings need to embrace this because both of us carry an American passport. And obviously things happen in the U.S. in so many cities each and every day, whether it's terrorism-related or just awful violence of one kind or another. And, you know, no one should stay at home hiding and no one should 
prevent their ambitions or aspirations of where they want to travel to in order to experience the world because it goes on. And yet, Americans, it's, it's part of our cultural DNA these days. We, it's not a question of whether we're going to travel or if we're going to travel or even when we're going to travel. It's just going to be how we're going to travel because we really we just want to do it. Uh, so you have a lot of Plan B opportunities, a safe haven travel, for example. Right. People saying, okay, this year I'm going to go to Norway because nothing ever happens there. Of course, except it's very expensive in Norway. Other than that, the number of bookings to Norway, way up. Number of bookings to Australia, way up. Cruise ship bookings up 38%. That's they've Amazing. never had that, right. right? Are you seeing that in your river cruise market? We are. So, you know, we cruise all of Europe, Vietnam, Cambodia, Russia's up phenomenally. Which See, is that's so the part to me that surprises me. I know. You know, you can tell me that France is down. I get it because people are scared because they think that something's going to happen, or maybe even the United Kingdom is down because of what happened in London, or you know that uh, Mexico might be down because people are worried about visa issues, or or the Middle East. You would think that based on everything you're seeing in the news that Russia would be way down, but it's not. You need to explain this to me. Frankly, I can't. <laughs> it's fascinating. Yeah, I know. Nobody can and, explain it to me. I mean, you know, it, it, maybe, <coughs> I, I call it the last supper mentality. Maybe the explanation for Russia traveling being up is that people think, if I don't go now, I may never go. Could definitely be that. As I say, we've certainly been surprised seeing the resurgence since late last year. Wow, amazing. In your meetings at the WTTC, you talk about sustainability. You talk about, you know, the things that people need to do. That's a word that begs for a continuing definition, sustainability. So how do you take that word sustainability and implement it in the, your day-to-day practices at, at the Travel Corporation? You know, it's about global warming and the fact that we have one planet so I don't think it's about travel or the industry or any individual company. It's about all of us. We're in this together. I don't believe anytime soon, certainly not in our lifetime, we're going to be living or traveling to Mars or the moon. So each and every one of us have to be more involved in doing whatever we can each and every day to reduce our footprint, reduce the use of plastic, reuse, recycle. And so we look at it as part of our DNA and what human beings should be doing, not just thinking about when you travel for a week's vacation, but what are we doing each and every day? And we do that within our business and certainly espouse that to our travelers. And I think it's part of that dialogue more than what sustainability uh, is, is as a travel speaking. company or there when you're on holiday. Every year, the Global Summit brings together ministers, heads of state, uh, prime ministers, uh, the leaders in the Fortune 500 world of travel, which, by the way, is the Fortune 500 when you think about how, tr- how important travel is, and also gives us an opportunity to catch up with some of our friends around the world, including my next guest. The last time I had her on the show, she was starting her mission. She's just finished it. Her name is Cassie DePeckle. Cassie, 
what was the mission? Just remind me and then and remind all of our listeners and then tell me how you did it. Yeah, well, thanks for having me back on, Peter. I appreciate it. Uh, so it was Expedition 196, and the goal was to And 196, become, of course, meaning the number of countries in the world? Yes, travel all 193 co- sovereign nations, plus a couple others in there, um, to break two Guinness World Records, one for the fastest person to travel to every country and the fastest female to travel to every country as well. And did you do it? Yes, I did it. Broke the record, uh, two records, so pretty exciting. <laughs> now, when we talk about 196, there are people I've had on the show before, people I've interviewed, who want to say, I've been to every country in the world, and I I said, okay, what constitutes you doing that? Did you just jump off the boat and touch the island and jump back on the boat again? Or did you actually spend some time there? Yeah. So I actually spoke to university students in about 40 of the countries through Skull International and the International Institute of Peace Through Tourism and planted trees. Um, But for the Guinness World Record, I just had to get the passport stamp and leave. And I I did do that in probably about 10 countries. I just stamped and headed out. Okay. So what were those those quick stamps? Um, Tuvalu. And a lot of it, it came down to money, you know, staying there for longer in the hotel. But yeah, Tuvalu and then about the rest were in Africa. All right, Tuvalu in the Pacific. In the Pacific, yeah. Right. That was a hop in, hop out. But you Nauru. know, one of those one of those places like Tuvalu always strikes me as a logistical challenge because the boat only comes in once every three weeks or the Yeah, exactly. And that's why I was like, Oh, I can't afford a two hundred dollar hotel because there's only like two hotels on the island, right? And then a flight like once a week and I just was So like, what'd you I do? Can't. Just get off the plane, get yeah, a stand and get back circled, on the plane? Circled around, went right back. Unfortunately I had to do that. And Nauru was another one and then a couple countries in Africa. Well, well. Nauru is a is a strange place. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's an island that's built, their entire economy was built on bird dung. <laughs> I didn't true. know that. On phosphates. <laughs> wow. Absolutely. And then all of a sudden, they ran out of bird dung. Oh. So their entire base of their economy had a problem. Oh, But geez. at one point, they were the richest country in the world per capita. Really? More number, more Rolls Royces all bought on the proceeds of phosphates from bird guano. Wow. Yeah. You learn something aren't, new every aren't day. You, aren't you glad you stopped by today? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so those, cool are your quick, those are your quick stamp places. <laughs> yes, yeah, and then a but couple then, in Africa. But then, remember, you're dealing with 196 destinations around the world. Some of them are in conflict, mm-hmm. right? Yes. I mean, like... Yeah. Of course, Syria. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some of them would present a challenge, not just to women, but to anybody yeah. like Yemen, mm-hmm. right? Where kidnapping is a national sport. Mm-hmm. So, and you went there too. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I went to all these places alone, but I'm, I'm pretty gutsy. And when it comes down to traveling, there's some things where I won't like flying is my, um, I have a fear of flying, uh, or at least I did well, before. Wait, wait, but... wait, 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 wait. <laughs> so... You're telling me, you're telling me you went to 196 churches in the world and you're scared to get on a plane? I was, yeah, for the first good year and a half of it, which is uh, pretty much all of it. <laughs> but I mean, so you're the original white knuckle flyer for all those countries? I know, I know, yeah. I was more fearful flying on a plane than I was, you know, traveling to Yemen or Syria for right, some but reason. but wait a second. Did it's you true. ever get over that fear? I did. Right now it's a lot better, especially because now I travel Well, after more Syria in and Yemen, you can handle anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. All right, so here's the stupid question. I understand how you get to Yemen because I can go to Yemen. Mm-hmm. How'd you get to Syria? You know what? Syria was easier than Yemen. Yemen, it, you know, I had to go, but Syria, I, I pretty much, which, yeah, that visa was... Did, which border did you cross? Tough. Turkey? Uh, no, I went to Latakia from Beirut. Ah. So it was that border, Lebanon. And how did yeah. you get from Beirut to, to Syria? Uh, bus, public bus. I know. Yeah. Wow. Because with the Guinness record, you're only able to take, um, allowed to take scheduled public transport. You can't charter, you can't. No. Hire any private. No. I had to just really rough it You had all. to schlep it. <laughs> yeah. How was that bus? Uh, it was interesting. It wasn't as bad as I thought. It's never as bad as what I think it's going to be. You know, everyone's but, just but living look. and. 
How old are you now? I'm 27. Okay. So you're a 27-year-old blonde. Yeah. Right? Getting yeah. on a bus from Beirut to Syria. Nobody looked at you strange? Not. You know, Latakia is an interesting interesting place. I feel like if I were headed to Damascus, it would be a different story, plus it's a longer bus ride. But yeah, I didn't even have to wear the hijab or anything, and I, I put it on at first. People were like, no, it's okay. And yeah, I wasn't really stared at too much. It was pretty comfortable, surprisingly, actually. And at the border, they just stamped you? Yeah, they did. Nobody cared? Yep. No. <laughs> you know why? Because everybody else was trying to get out of Syria. Yeah, probably. Probably. I didn't meet. Hey, you want to come in? Yeah. Come on in. Yeah, 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 yeah. Did you ever feel fear? Uh, I think the only time I felt fear was probably I was at a re- red light in Lima, Peru, and um, there were four teenage boys, armed teenage boys, who came up and threw themselves into the car to try and take everything. And they took all the driver's stuff. They didn't take any of my stuff because we got away in time. But that was the only time, really. I didn't have too many bad experiences. You know, given the situation, being a young girl traveling alone in all these countries, it was actually okay. So the 196 countries you did in how long? Uh, in 18 months and 10 days. 18 months and nine days? No, 18 ten. months and 10. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Was there one country that was, was your biggest challenge in terms of, I can't get in, I can't get in, I can't get in, or you, you know? Mm-hmm. Turkmenistan. Believe it or not, Turkmenistan. That's a tough place. It's a tough, that visa process is tough. I got denied twice. And then I actually had to re- reach out to uh, my, the, the government in Connecticut to kind of help out with the situation, see what they could do. The and government so, in Connecticut? Yeah. What do you mean? So, uh, Elizabeth Etsy, Secretary of State, I believe. Ah. Um, I'm not good with politics, but I think that's her <laughs> title. And anyway, she was really, really helpful. And she connected uh, me to the U.S. Embassy in Ashgabat, who really assisted with everything. So it was a really, otherwise, if it, if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't have been able to get into Turkmenistan. And how many days were you there? Uh, I was there for three or four days. And I spoke to the students there, a couple different schools. And yeah, it was great. So beautiful once city. you got in, it was okay. Yeah, yeah. It was beautiful. I mean, you are a role model for so many people because you, when, when you're a woman, a single woman, mm. a young woman, an American. Most Americans don't even have a passport. Yeah. And you went to 196 countries. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the world is a good place, you know? I mean, well, I, I, see... I would suspect having traveled to, I have not done, I have to tell you, I have not done 196 countries. I've done 151. Yeah, that's but who's a lot counting? Though. But no, the point is, well, it's 150 more than most Americans. Yeah, exactly. Most people but, don't. I mean, to think that you did that in 18 months, and let's not forget the other 10 days. So 18 months yeah. and 10 days is, is quite remarkable. Other than your personal safety, mm-hmm. uh, what was the biggest surprise to you that you said, man, I thought this country was X. It turns out it's really Y. Yeah. Uh, Pakistan. Pakistan is one of my favorite countries. Because? Um, because it, it, it's just it's not what you'd expect when you go in i was hosted there i spoke to three different universities the the culture is just so vast the food is delicious people are nice it's just it's the best place i've been to it's the most culturally enriching and you go in there thinking one thing uh and you enter and it's completely what you what you would never expect it in a positive way and where in pakistan were you i was in karachi lahore and islamabad so you went to the capital too yeah yeah I just had a wonderful experience. I go there again tomorrow. It's one of and my how did you, did you fly in? Ah, uh, yeah, I did mm-hmm. to Islamabad. I flew into Karachi okay. and then Karachi to Lahore. And which airline? Uh, Pakistan Airways. Oh, a, a, a very courageous woman. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. For me. I mean, no, no. <laughs> for me too. I, I, I've flown that airline. It's I know. like, and they just whoa. had that crash the week before. I, was I know. There. I know. So I was really worried, and you can't drink, of course. So. So here you were, fearful of flying, yeah. on PIA. Yeah. 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 That was... You know you know what PIA stands for, don't you? No. Pakistan Please inform Air. Allah. Yeah. 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 Wow. But you okay. made it. Okay. That's a good... Yeah. No, I made yeah. it. I made it. 
Don't and, know and you know what Air India stands for? What is it? Air India stands for Allah informed. Yeah. Okay, there we go then. <laughs> so you were protected. <laughs> yeah, were exactly. Protected. I think so. All right, so. so your biggest surprise was Pakistan. Yeah. What was your biggest disappointment? Um, I don't really like to mention the countries. Well, that I'm sorry, I'm, I asked those peace. questions for a reason. <laughs> um, Comoros, I think. Really? Yeah. The islands? Yeah, just Why? Comoros. I mean, I love Mauritius, you know, a lot of those islands off Africa, but I just didn't have a good experience, like, with the men there. I found them to be really disrespectful, and I don't fi- I didn't find that in a lot of places, actually. I found that I was pretty respected everywhere, but that was one place I wasn't. And that was the only place? Yeah, and Italy. Now, all- I can say, <laughs> I'd say my least favorite country is Italy, and I have family there. Like, my last name's Italian, my great-grandpa came from there, I have cousins there, but... I just okay, we're, and like, we're dumping yeah. on Italy because I'm, just because of how I'm treated as a woman, as a woman there, I just you know the cat calls that just I feel like a walking, like I could be walking around naked and I'm fully clothed, obviously, but it's just. What I is feel radio? Really we could make it up, you know. What is it? It's radio. We could make it up. You, yeah, you could be naked, but that's yeah, okay. yeah, but I'm not. <laughs> but, bottom, but yeah, that but was the bottom line my, is that was a disappointment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like food is great. You know, the culture, the people are very nice, but I just found the men to be really tough for for me. Um, You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Are you ready for an all-new season of Survivor? You better be, because Survivor 46 is here, and it's 90 minutes of twists and turns you don't want to miss. Better yet, after each episode, there's a brand new episode of On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. Each week, we go behind the scenes of the episode's biggest moments, taking you into the how and the why things happened. And this season, we're very lucky to be joined by an expert, the winner of Survivor 45, Devaya Daris. What is up? I'm thrilled to be joining this team and to be giving you my take on how and the why players made the moves they did, what it takes to outwit, outplay, and outlast, and to ask Jeff some questions because... Even after 26 days out there, there is still a lot for me to uncover. Bring it, D. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.